Well, I want to thank David for filling in for me last week. I ended up having a surgery Wednesday and so couldn't be here. And so I wanted to be here, <laughs> but I couldn't, but I still wanted to. I was tempted. I almost came. You know, I was like, my wife's like, you have lost your mind, but I wanted to be. But thanks to him for doing that. And it's good to be back. And tonight, y'all, we are going to hit the final part three of our book of Job. And we've been in this study. It's been so um, good and enlightening. And I hope that we can uh, finish out on that uh, same uh, path. We do have something tonight that, you know, last week, we, I mean, last week, two weeks ago, we talked about where did evil come from? Who created it? How did it get here? And we've, we established a lot of information. And, and thank you, Michelle. And uh, so we did that. It was a great study. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, uh, you can go on the uh, Clawson podcast. And these Wednesday nights are now on there. And so you can listen to that. Or if somebody's interested in knowing more about Job, I was telling my wife this morning, I read about a guy who preached for 22 years on the book of Job in a row. 22 years. The guy that was talking about it said, you know, if you were going to the church It'll say after four years, you kind of got tired of it. Job can get depressing at, at times. How I many you know what I'm talking about? And let's say you left and you came back 10 years later. He was still right there on the book of Job, man. I'm just like, wow, 22 years. That is amazing. But we're not going to do that. Tonight's going to be our last study. And so anyway, uh, we learned from last time that we looked at Job. If you want to look uh, with us at the first chapter, we learned last time that, we, that Job had two major attacks one was upon his stuff, his family, all of his wealth, his, uh, his servants. And he found himself after that first attack. Now, he doesn't know what we know. We know that the devil had a conversation with God and God allowed the devil to attack him, but not to kill him. So Job doesn't know this and no one else does either. So he attacks his family, his wealth, his servants, and he finds himself childless, broke, without servants, and very confused on what's going on. How many of you know if you've been doing your best to live for the Lord, and you know, you're trying with everything you have, and then everything just goes wrong, of course you're going to have some questions about that. You know, like, God, what's going on here? You know, what's happening in my life? So he has. Then we see from the book of Job we saw last time, hey, Robert, he had a second attack, and what was that on? His physical body. In fact, the Bible says that uh, Job sat and he had bowls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, and he just scraped himself daily in ashes, trying to, trying to relieve himself of some kind of pain. And it was so terrible. Notice Job chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's read uh, 11 through 13. Now, uh, Job... He's got these friends that come now and they're going to try to comfort him in what he's going through. So we saw that last time. Let's see what happens now. Uh, when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from their own place. They kind of got together and said, let's go down to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Watch this now. When they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voices and wept. They tore their clothes. 
and their mantle, sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven, and they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a single word unto him, for they saw that his grief was great. A couple things here I saw that was amazing. When they saw him, they didn't even know him. He is in such bad shape that when they saw him, they didn't even know it was Job. Then they were so moved by what he was having to go through that they literally sat down seven days and seven nights and didn't say a word. I tell you right now, that's a long time. First of all, for an old guy like me, that'd just be a long time to sit down anyway in one place. But that is mind-boggling. Uh, now, up to this point, Job hadn't said an ugly word against God or anything that was going on. But I guess human nature, as things go, and the more he thought on it, how many of you know at some point you realize your kid's not coming back? You, your wealth's not coming back. Your life's not getting better. And the more he began to think about it, human nature began to kick in. And he begins to say a lot of things and his friends say a lot of things. And we'll get to this. But listen, the main point is when God finally shows up, he just tells all of them, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And if there's a lesson to be learned from this is when somebody's going through something, you probably ought to keep your thoughts to yourself. <laughs> Someone told me the other day with what I'm going through. He said, now, don't you think that the Lord is trying to tell you you need to get back to pastoring? And I said, no, <laughs> I don't think that at all. I think I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But that's okay if you think that, but it'd probably be better if you kept that to yourself. You know, <laughs> I didn't tell her that or that person that. <laughs> and so, but how many, you know, we have human nature. That's what we do. We look at what's going on in somebody's life and we calculate and we say, you know what? If you would do this or if you would do that, that wouldn't be happy. How many, of you know, that's human nature. Oh, yeah, that's human nature. And so up to this point, though, they hadn't said a lot about all this. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. And after this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day it was, he was born. And Job spake and said, let the day perish when I was born in the night, he said. That there, said there's a man child is conceived. Now, what is he doing? He's saying he's, he's looking at his life and all that he's going through. And he says this, you know, it had been better if I had never been born. It would have been better if I had died at birth. Now, how many of you know Job's hurting pretty bad here? He is in a, and you would be too, and I would be too. In fact, we may have thought those kind of thoughts before going through far less than what uh, he's going through uh, at this point in his life. Look down at verse 11. He says, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Why did the breast that I should suck? For now I should have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept and then I would be at rest. So he's weary. He's hurting. It's difficult. He's going through an awful lot. And you know what? I'm just going to say this right here, y'all. In these moments in our life, we can get pretty depressed and we really need somebody speaking blessing to us, life for us. You know, I, I don't mean to put him on the spot or anything, but... Jack calls me pretty regular and gives me a word of encouragement and praise for me. 
Bob calls me often and regular and prays for me, texts a prayer to me. A lot of you guys do. And you know what needs to happen? When somebody's going through something, they need encouragement. You, 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 human nature is already to get down on yourself. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And so what we need to do is encourage one another and bless one another. So Job's friends have showed up to encourage him. Do they encourage him? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. He's hurting and he's suffering. So let's begin. Well, in fact, just if you want to, in your notes, chapter 4 through chapter 32 is just a long theological discussion. And they are saying things about Job and about God, and they don't have any idea what they're talking about. And it all comes out in the end. But we're going to look at some of this stuff tonight. And as we do, y'all, there's going to be a couple of questions that I want you to answer about what you believe. Okay, so as we go through this, you're going to see these because if you took from chapters four to chapter 32 and you started building theological uh, foundation in your life and these guys were wrong, what would you come up with? A wrong theology. Okay, let me say that again. If you go from chapter four to chapter 32 and you start building a foundation on the things that these guys were saying and you don't find out until chapter 38 that they were wrong. And you say, okay, you say, all right, the Job so-and-so says this. And you start building that as a principle, a foundation for your life. You sure can't get in a lot of trouble. How do you know that's why good preachers always say no one scripture stands alone? You've got to follow all of the Bible, okay? Because uh, there may be something being said there, but we may need to know more about what's being said. So let's look at this. In other words, hold on to your, to your shoelaces or whatever you can hold on to tonight. These next several chapters are really error in a way. Not everything, not everything, but the premise is not correct. And then we're going to try to discover out why. Because what they're saying is something we believe. And so we're going to have to figure out why. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, y'all relaxed and ready to go and ready to throw some answers in. Here we go. Look at chapter 4 and look at verse 1. And we see here that, first of all, Eliphaz is going to speak to Job. So he says this, Then Eliphaz answered and said, If I talk with you, if I commune with you, will you be, he's already grieved, will you be more grieved, I guess. But he says, I just can't withhold myself. I must speak. I've got to say what's on my heart. Been better if he hadn't, but let's look at what he says. Verse 7, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, that's a Probably a verse you need to underline. Whoever perished being innocent or where were the righteous cut off? Verse eight, even as I have seen they who plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now, in verse seven and eight, I doubt if I could get one single person to disagree with that. The Bible says even this in Galatians Whatever a man, they shall also, isn't that what he's saying here? That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, look, let me ask you, look out in society and tell me where there was ever a good man that was cut off. Where was an, a, a man of iniquity ever blessed? That's kind of what he's saying right here. In other words, let me just break it down. If you sow good, you're going to reap what? Y'all believe that? If you sow evil, you're going to reap evil because whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So, so here we see this starting point, And I believe with all my heart that, that, 
whatever you sow, you're going to reap. That, that, that just is the scripture in the Bible. That's a concept in the Bible. If you sow good, you're not going to reap bad. It's a, by the way, it's a natural principle as much as it is a spiritual. Anybody plant a garden this year? We did. So it, you guys sow some what? Corn? Y'all sow some corn? Did any of you who sowed corn had potatoes come up? No. Tomatoes? Peas? Watermelons? No. If you sowed corn, what did come up? Corn. That is a natural law. Okay? You don't sow purple whole peas and grow watermelons. That is a natural law. It is also a spiritual law. I read it from Galatians, but it's all in the Bible. We'll see it some more in a minute. Cast your bread upon the water and what will happen? It's going to return to you. It is a, it is a principle. It is a law. It's a biblical law concept. It is a spiritual concept. It is a natural concept. Now, Job, by God's admission, was a good man, right? And he was perfect, right? The Bible, that's not Job saying he was perfect. That's God saying he was perfect. It says he was perfect and he was upright. And he he, he uh, loved to do what is right and he hated evil. Okay, that's God saying that, okay? So here we see there, there are these texts in the Bible, many, many of them. We're gonna look at some of them in a minute. And then we, we come to the book of Job and we see a guy who's sowing good. He's sowing good. In other words, he's sowing corn. He's sowing corn. He's sowing corn and he's reaping cabbage. Broccoli. I mean, no, let's, let's, let's correct that. Some of you might like cabbage and broccoli. He's sowing corn and he's reaping. What's that grass that gets in your garden that you hate? Nut grass, crab grass. He's sowing corn and he's reaping crab grass, nut grass. That's right. That's what's happening here. So it's very difficult to to understand, to, to get a hold of this, to understand what's going wrong. Not only, listen, Job is the guy who sowed the corn and he's reaping crabgrass and these friends saying, hey, you didn't sow corn, you sowed crabgrass. Right? That's what they're saying, okay? So, but God said that Job was a good man and he did what was right. So sowing and reaping is taken from the ideal, you know, that if you plant something, you're going to reap what you sow. So that's true in the natural, it's true in the physical. And Eliphaz says, it's also true, he says here, therefore, therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, if you're reaping bad, Job, what did you sow? Bad. Okay? Because it's a law. It's a spiritual principle. Okay, so it's the law of retribution. Okay, so at one point, Job says, if I've sinned, he says this to Eliphaz, if I sin, then show me what my sin is. And you know what Eliphaz does? He's not real smart. He just brings it. He has no idea what he's talking about. But he says, okay, look at over at chapter 22. And I want you to see what he says about Job. By the way, not one single word of this is true. But where did he come up with this? I have no idea. Uh, Job has no idea, but just watch what he says. He says, look, if I have sinned, then you show me my sin. He just makes it up on the fly. Look at verse five. He says, is not thy wickedness great, Job? And your iniquity, look at this. That's, a, that's an amazing word in the King James infinite <laughs> for thou hast taken a pledge from your brother for naught 
and you have stripped the naked from their clothing. Now you, you've taken the clothes off of people's back, Job. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. You have withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he hath, uh, hath the earth and honoreth an honorable man dwelt in it. In other words, if you weren't doing this, you wouldn't be reaping that. Thou hast sent widows away empty in their arms of the fatherless and have, have they been broken. So here's what he does. He just says, Joe, you are a horrible man. And you know what you're doing? You are reaping from the lifestyle that you live. Now, not one single word of that is true, but he's convinced because sowing and reaping is a biblical principle that it must be so. So he tells Job, you say uh, you've done nothing wrong. Look back at chapter four and then look at verse 17 and we'll be done with Eliphaz. He says this. This is a powerful verse. Chapter four, verse 17. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? So here's what. Look up here for this minute. I'll throw this at you. Catch a hold of this. Job saying, look, man, I haven't done anything wrong. And so, so Eliphaz says, look, people reap what they sow. Are you saying you're more righteous than God? Meaning God is giving you what you deserve. So are you saying that you are more righteous than God? Can the creation be more righteous than the creator? And you know what Job's response has to be? I don't know. All I know is I didn't do anything wrong and I'm reaping all this which is insane. So these are harsh and, and terrible words that his friend who's come to comfort him. Uh, and let's be honest, it's confusing. If you hadn't read chapters one and two, we wouldn't be knowing what's going on either. How many know that? We would know that this was an attack from the enemy. I want to ask you a question. How many of you felt like, you may not know for sure, but how many of you have ever felt like you was under attack? In other words, <laughs> this couldn't be this many things back to back unless this was some kind of spiritual attack. And so sometimes that happens. Sometimes we go through those kinds of things. So, so, so it's confusing sometimes to know why these things are happening. So Job answers Eliphaz. He has all these terrible words to say. Look at chapter six and verse one. Job answered and said, oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. Skip down to verse 14. He's speaking to Eliphaz. To him that is afflicted, pity should be shown. My goodness gracious. I mean, you came here to comfort me. I give me a little pity from his friends, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Verse 24, skip down and look at it. Teach me and I will hold my tongue. You tell me what I've done and help me to understand where I've erred. If you know so much, then you explain it to me in a way where I can understand it. So Job, you know, basically what he says is I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. So let's go back to the principle of sowing and reaping. I want you to write. Well, you have these scriptures on your um, on your uh, paper there. If you've got one, if you didn't, there's some in the back. You can grab one. Let's talk a minute about this law of sowing and reaping together. And let's begin in Proverbs chapter 22. Look there with me. Proverbs chapter 22. And I want you to see this uh, this principle, this, these, these laws according to the Bible. Proverbs chapter 22. And then I want to ask you some questions about them, okay? Verse 8. Proverbs 22. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Y'all believe that? 
It's right in the Bible. It's hard to like, no, I don't really believe that. So he that sows iniquity shall reap vanity. Y'all believe that? How many of you said, y'all ain't coming along very well. Y'all slowing down on me. But let me ask you this. How many of you have ever said to, to your wife, your husband, friend, whatever, when talking about somebody and they say, well, that person has done terrible, 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 you know, and, and it looks like they're getting off scot-free. And then somebody says, hey, listen, don't worry. They're eventually going to reap what they sow. And don't, y'all believe that then, don't you? So he, who sows, whoever sows iniquity eventually is going to reap iniquity. Y'all believe that? Absolutely. Okay. So it's a scripture right there in the Bible. And so let's flip over to Matthew uh, chapter seven real quick. Let's keep turning. Matthew chapter seven. We're talking about the principle of sowing and reaping. Matthew chapter seven and look at verse two. Matthew seven, verse two. Here we go again. Uh, It says this for what? Well, let me read the first verse two. judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure, the amount, in other words, you meet, it shall be measured to you again. That's a, that's a, that is a, a spiritual principle, but sometimes it doesn't get measured back to the same amount. Sometimes it gets measured about good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. So not only can you reap what you've sown, but a lot of times you reap it in abundance. In other words, I planted 10 pounds of potatoes this year, and this happened to be a very good year for potatoes, I guess, because we gathered up about 200 pounds of potatoes. That's pretty good. Some years I planted 10 pounds of potatoes, and we gathered up seven or eight potatoes. Four four pounds of potatoes. But this year was a bumper crop. How many of you know sometimes you sow something and you don't just reap what you sow, you reap mega what you sow, okay? But this, this, this particular scripture here says, be careful how you judge somebody else because when you're pointing one finger at them, you're getting multiplied measurements coming back to yourself. Y'all believe that scripture? Y'all do? Y'all believe that scripture? Y'all believe that's the truth? Okay, so we got that one. Go to Galatians chapter 6. And I already mentioned this scripture, but we'll look at it since uh, we're doing this, this, this study together. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Here it is. Be not deceived. Don't be in misunderstanding. God is not mocked. For whatsoever. Somebody say whatsoever. whatsoever. Really doesn't matter what it is. Hatred, love, bitterness, money, whatever, whatever, whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe this is a, this is a principle in the Bible that of, uh, according to the Bible, are we true so far in this sowing and reaping? So, so how many of you going back, just looking at these texts, then you would have to say that that the principles that Eliphaz is spouting is definitely something that you and I have been taught and can wholeheartedly agree with 99.9% of the time. In other words, we have found ourselves in a very unique position. We have found ourselves on the Eliphaz side, which we know is already going to be wrong. Let's continue. Because there's more. Romans chapter 2, look there with me. 
It gets, it gets kind of awkward and, and, and weird. And, and we have to understand because how many of you know being in understanding, being in misunderstanding throws us in darkness. And when we're in darkness, then when we, we can come up with philosophies and theologies that start trying to make God out to be something that he's not. So we have to be very careful, understand what the truth is. Romans chapter two, verse six, let's look there. Uh, who will render to every man according to his deeds, his works. So God, when God judges the world, he's going to render to every person, man, woman, boy, girl, according to what he's done. In other words, he's going to get what he sowed. He's going to reap what he sowed. To them who by patience continue in well-doing, Seek uh, for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. So if you're laying the foundation of eternal life, you're going to reap eternal life. If you're not, you're not. You're going to get whatever. Is that a principle in the Bible? Are you going to get what you're what you're laying the foundation for right now? You sure better hope so. But unfortunately, that places us in a unique position. Outside of the book of Job, it's, it's kind of strange. Let's go to one more. Uh, Proverbs chapter 26. I want to pull it up from your other verses below real quickly. Proverbs chapter 26 and look at verse 27. Every one of these scriptures have basically said the exact same thing. And this one says, uh, whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall shall uh, be shown therefore through the whole congregation. Am I where I need to be? Proverbs 26 and verse 27. I'm at Proverbs 26. Oh, there it is. Who, I love this scripture. My wife and I quote this all the time. I should have it memorized. Whoever digs a pit. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's good sound theology. Whoever, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Now, let me just say this. If all of that wasn't bad enough or good enough, depending on how you interpret it, there are plenty of examples in the Bible to confirm what we just said that we agree with that are all these verses in the Bible that are completely contrary to what we're reading in Job. Let's look at some examples of it. We can see from, uh, from Esther, Haman and Mordecai, what happened? Haman wanted to kill Mordecai. He wanted to kill the Jews. What did he do? He built a set of gallows. He had Mordecai planned to be hung the next day. King couldn't sleep. Everything changed. It all went in reverse order. Guess what happened? Instead of Mordecai being hung on the gallows, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever, whoever sows ugly, going to reap ugly. This man was trying to do something wrong. And he reaped what he sowed. And guess what? He got hung on the very gallows that he built to hang someone else on. So I'm just saying so far, everything that we have learned up to this point would come into agreement with Eliphaz and what he said. Wherever is there a man who sowed ugly and reaped good? You are reaping bad, Job. You must be bad. And that's not all. Daniel didn't do anything wrong, but his friends hated him. Weren't real friends. His, his contemporaries hated him. So 
They passed the law that you couldn't pray. Daniel didn't care. He prayed away. King said, I don't want to throw you into the lion's den, but this law cannot be changed. And Daniel, with the grace of the man that he was, said, hey, do what you got to do. They throw him into the lion's den. And the Bible says the king couldn't sleep all night. In the morning early, he rose up and he ran out to the lion's den. And he said, Daniel, you servant of the most high God, has your God been able to protect you from the lions? And Daniel says, O king, live forever. The God in whom I serve has sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. I don't know how it happened next, but some way or another, the king said, get him out of there. And they rescued Daniel. Not that he was in any danger from the lion's den. But guess what happened next? The people who passed this law in order to try to destroy Daniel and the Jews. The Bible says, the king said, throw all of them into the lion's den. And the Bible tells us that when they were thrown into the lion's den, that the lion crushed them into pieces. Once again, we find ourselves in a bit of a dilemma because we just read all of these scriptures that says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We've looked at multiple examples and we can continue to look at multiple examples of this truth. And yet, we are in a text right now that says, by God, not Job, that Job was a perfect man and upright. He did that which was good, and he is reaping the worst kind of judgment, torment, hardship, whatever you want to call it. Now, that's really interesting if it's not anything else. We got to come to some conclusions, don't we? We need some answers here tonight. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit. Before we dive into this and discover the truth of the matter, would anybody like to say something? Comment? Go there? Hey, that's okay. We're just glad you're here. Anybody want to comment on where we're at thus far, Dan? Speak up as loud as you can, brother. Well, I'm glad you brought that out. So let me challenge that philosophy that most of us have, okay? Not only do I believe in the law of sowing and reaping, I don't think that God governs it daily. I think it's a law, okay? What do I mean by that? Whenever God said to Adam and Eve, <clears throat> if you eat of the fruit, you're gonna die. The Bible says they ate of the fruit they realized they were naked. They died spiritually. Later on, God came in the cool of the evening, called for them. They were hiding because they were afraid. And God says, why were you hiding? Did you eat of the tree? 
that I commanded you not to eat from? And then you know the rest, how they blamed everybody. But here's what happened. The minute that they ate of it, if you get this concept in your head, this is going to so help you in the future. You see, God is not standing in heaven with a sledgehammer watching all of us. And he says, get ready. They're just about to do it. And I want you to smash them real good. No, that's not how it works at all. As a matter of fact, God set these laws in places. This law says when you sin, you die. And when Adam and Eve sin, listen, God didn't have to activate anything. He didn't have to set anything in motion. He had already set the law in motion. Give you a good example of this. You try to defy the natural laws that God has already set in motion. In other words, go up there and get on top of the steeple of the church and just jump off. And God doesn't have to look down and say, oh, we got a climber here. Get ready. I need you to activate the law of gravity in just a minute so that when they jump. No, he doesn't have to do anything. He set the law of gravity into motion. It's just like other laws that we have. Natural laws, spiritual laws, all these laws. God has already set. He doesn't stand around and govern all this stuff. He set them in motion. They're governing themselves by his design, by his plan. So here's the problem with that. You know, you say, well, God, God made an exception. Or God knew Kevin. Or God understands Dan. Or he sees this situation. I don't mean that at all, like in any derogatory way. I'm saying it's a law. You speed, you get pulled over, you get a ticket, unless you're a lady and you smile real big and then they let you off and the rest of us get a ticket. <laughs> My wife's gotten pulled over so many times and didn't get a ticket. You, hey, if I ever get pulled over, I'm getting a ticket. I'm just saying. But you know what? I don't hardly ever get pulled over. Thank the Lord, please don't take that. In, in, uh, so, but, but, but anyway, I'm saying... It's a law. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? It's a law. So, so, so you defy the law, it defies you. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, need God. No, in other words, in sowing and reaping, if I sow something, I'm going to reap it, not because God's standing in heaven and watch me and say, all right, I want you to bless Kevin or curse him. He set this law. Okay, and that really troubles us because that's taken a whole new level. But I appreciate the comment. Anybody else? Or Dan, you want to follow up on? Or anybody else want to comment? So let's open the case up so we can have a clear understanding of it all when we're done here tonight. How about that? Well, today, in today's time. Uh-huh. Okay. They call it karma. If you do bad, bad will come to you. Or if you do good, good will come to you. I mean, this is... That's not a website where you buy a car? I thought all this time that was... <laughs> Yeah, they, they do call that karma. It's just a false religion is all that is. But yes, ma'am. Well, it's funny that you should say that because John 16 and verse 33 is the next verse on your paper. And for balance sake, I decided I would put the other side on there. And one of them is in this world. Now, how, 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 can, we, how can we balance this? Like she's saying, 
How can we, how can we take a law, a, a real law, gravitational law, and balance it in any form or shape of the way where you don't die? Or in this case, sowing and reaping. So, so one of the texts we have on there is John 16 and verse 33. Is anybody there? Can you read it for us real loud? And I'm going to go to the next one. John 16 and 33, anybody? Okay, so that's interesting. There's a couple things in there that's really powerful. I'm telling you this because you may reach a point of misunderstanding, confusion, and you can still have peace in me because there's a whole world of difference between my world and your world. That's interesting. Here's another one. The next text, Job chapter 5 and verse 7 Yet man that is born, uh, man born, there's another text in Job that says it like this, and I always try to quote it like that. Man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. You ever read that text in the Bible? That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This man born of woman is, his life is short and often filled with lots of tragedy. That's just sad, isn't it? Well, that's what Job says. Remember what I said about building theologies on, on error, erroneous scripture? Here's this one says, man is born into trouble Look at this, just like sparks fly upward. <laughs> you're, born, you're born into the world, a world of trouble, just like sparks. You ever, you ever sharpen your hoe? What happens? Man, if sparks get to flying, they get all over you. Yeah, that's the way life is. That's the way trouble is. That's the way this world is. That's what Job's saying. Now, do you agree with that? I don't know. So, so how do you defy these laws? We're going to talk about it. Anybody else want to comment? Because I love to get it all mixed up before we really turn the cat out of the bag. Anybody else want to comment? So, so I believe that with all my heart. We had seven kids in our family. I got a brother that drank himself to death. He died of liver disease. You know what he did? He sowed that lie. He reaped that lie. And he died in that lie. I believe that. I believe in sowing and reaping 100%. Let me ask you, because if we believe that, then what do we do with this? Just for fun, real quickly. Do you believe in sowing and reaping? How about you, Robert? Do you believe in sowing and reaping? Barbara and Jack, y'all believe in sowing and reaping? How about y'all? Do y'all believe in sowing and reaping? You do? Okay, maybe this, this crowd over here, they don't know anything. Let's go over here to the smart crowd, right? <laughs> do you believe in sowing and reaping? You do? How about you, Pam? Do you believe in sowing and reaping? Do y'all believe in sowing and reaping? You do? Okay. Jack, do you believe in sowing and reaping? You do? I know. I do too. Okay. Bless somebody. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's, a, it's another principle. So did you want to you comment? <laughs> okay, go ahead.
what proportion? Because Galatians kind of after all that, Paul's writing after Jesus is dead, resurrected and gone to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And he says in Galatians, hey, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So, but I totally understand. Y'all ready to... So after we're saved, after we're saved, do we stop reaping what we sowed? No. Okay, so that's interesting. It's good. Hey, you're right on track, but I'm just, I'm helping us here tonight before we jump headlong into this. Anybody else want to comment? Please do. Comment. If you, if you have a comment, please do. Yes, Jason. I think it's more of a principle than a law. Okay. And what would be the difference between those two things? You're 100%, both of y'all are 100% right on track. Let, let's hit it real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So, so, but my point is be careful because after you get saved, does that mean you're just going to reap good everything? No. Exactly right. You're right. You're right on track. Okay, so let's go with it. Y'all ready? Ready to see this? Eyes wide open. Jason? Yeah, you, you know, it's you. I know it's as confusing as Job, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Look, look. I, I don't want you to miss this point because what you guys are saying, I need you to take this in. We are Eliphaz 99% of the time. And not just him, but we're all of these guys, Bildad, all the other ones. We just say all the time, they're getting what they deserve. But then we come to a child and we go, this is a Job moment. Or we come to a person who, hasn't done anything wrong, and we go, how can this be? Why is this? So let's dive headlong into this. First of all, I just want to say this. I believe that sowing and reaping works 100% of the time, except when God steps in and reverses it. <laughs> okay, which is exactly what Jason and exactly what you said and exactly what you said, okay? I've seen people who sowed every bad seed known to man. I had a really good friend that came to church here and got saved. Name was Kenneth Reynolds. He had been a math guy. He had he had been a he had been uh, those guys that that uh, a hit man. He'd had a hit on people. He had done everything you could ever imagine. When I met him, he was uh, on 
uh, eight ball and a half a day of meth, whatever that means. I have no idea what that means. He came to church. He was demon possessed. He showed up one morning right here out of Rivercrest. They took him right outside that door and prayed for him. Some of you were on that team. They cast the devil out of him. He came back in the church. He had a $99 million smile on his face. That man didn't have a thing. He didn't own anything. In fact, he told me a few days later that everything he had was stolen. I told him, I said, no, man, not everything you had stolen. He said, yeah, pastor, everything I have is stolen. I said, no, your house ain't stolen. He said, yes, it is. He said, it's a mobile home and they were going to repossess it. So we hooked it up, moved it to another piece of property so they wouldn't know where it's stolen to. And so, I mean, everything, he didn't have anything of legitimacy at all. Yet, because of God's grace and mercy, he stepped into his situation because Kenneth fell at the cross and found forgiveness. God immediately began to bless his life unbelievably. I mean, he got a new truck. He got him a house. He got him a good job. He he become a preacher. His whole entire life flipped in a moment. If he would have reaped what he sowed, listen, he would have reaped the most horrible consequences known to mankind. Many of you know what I'm talking about because you came to the cross in the same way and you left everything that you had sowed there at the cross and you immediately began to reap a whole different life. So, you have to say God stepped in to the sowing and reaping process and put the brakes on it and says, you are no longer going to reap what you sow. Now, let me tell you the flip side. If it works one way, it also can work the other way. What do I mean? Just like Kenneth reaped all that he never sowed until he began his new life, you can have a person who's sowing good, 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 good. And for whatever reason, God steps in and says, son, daughter, as much as I love you, you're about to go through a test. I just want to give you a couple of examples of this when you think about it. Of course, Job is a prime example, but how about Jesus Christ? He never sowed anything bad, and he reaped sorrow like nobody who's ever lived. So there are times in our life where we've sowed the right seeds and we're not reaping the right harvest. Now, I want to say something to you that is so important to me right now in this moment that I'm in. If that happens, you've got to know that God is in it. Come on, somebody, please don't miss that. If you sow the right stuff and you're reaping the wrong results, you have got to know that God is in this. Not too long ago, God spoke, is it Miracle Night? Actually, God spoke to my heart in Miracle Night. He just told me two powerful words for me, I guess. I thought I was gonna build a sermon on it, but it ended up just falling apart from being for me. But he said, be at rest. He said, be at rest and have peace. You know what he's saying? Look, I know you're going through a lot right now, but you got to know I'm in this. You put, you've sowed the right seeds. You're reaping the wrong harvest, but be at rest and be at peace because I'm in this. Now, if you try to explain that to somebody, biblically, scripturally, if we hadn't gone through everything that we just went through, there would be no way for them to understand that. But it does happen. Y'all are right. You guys are smarter than the average bear. I'm just going to tell y'all right now, you guys are awesome. 
Anybody want to comment? Sure, Tina. He didn't. So the apostle Paul, a thorn in flesh, he prayed many times to get rid of. He was sowing all the right seeds, but he was struggling. Never did get rid of it. He died with it. Excellent point. Why didn't he? Why didn't God just help him? Well, God said, look, here's what God said. Y'all, you ought to write this down somewhere. God is in it. Paul said, look, my grace is sufficient for you, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't worry about a thing. I'm going to help you. I'm, you're going to get through it. Even if you die with it, <laughs> I'm with you. It's going to be okay, Bob. That's exactly right. It rains on the just and the unjust. The same. It's the same. You know, um, in fact, there's a number of scriptures that I wanted to bring out about the flip side of that. Uh, but just as a person's been washed and forgiven and begin a new life, Job serves as his example that, that, that God can step into the law of sowing and reaping and reverse it in the opposite direction. A person who's suffering in this life go through terrible consequences of no fault of their own. And Job is an example of this. Jesus is an example of this. They didn't do anything wrong, and yet they suffered greatly. Um, not only the scripture that Bob just pointed out was a beautiful scripture, but there's another scripture in the Bible, too, that we like to avoid and just stick with the uh, sowing and reaping principle if we're doing the right thing, right? How many know if you're not sowing the right scriptures, we hate that verse of scripture, but if you're sowing the right thing, we love it. And so it just depends on where you are. But God says, I'm going to have mercy on who I'm going to have mercy, and I'm going to have compassion on who I have compassion. And that doesn't really sound fair to me, but I'm not God. And so he is. And he has he has. Let me just tell you a scripture of comfort right here, no matter what you're going through or how long you have to go through it. He, God tells us he's working everything, though, for your good. Y'all believe that scripture, too? He's working everything for your good, including Job, Jesus. Hey, listen, I thank God Jesus had to suffer the suffering he had to do because it was through that suffering that he paid for our salvation. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else want to comment on what we're talking about? We, we got our answer now. And if you're like me, if you don't write it down before you get out of here, you'll be like, now what did he say? But there's the podcast is there. So you can go, go ahead. Let me say this before I forget, because I have tried to write these down in my notes two or three times, and I haven't remembered to write it down, but it just came to me again. Isn't it funny how that stuff works? But the, the, the whole point of the book of Job is, please don't forget this, the whole point of the book of Job is, after it was over, he was restored and blessed double. If you only read the first two chapters, you'll never know that. A lot of people will tell you false theology and they'll say, well, just look at the book of Job. It's like, well, did you read the 42nd chapter? Because that's a real important chapter too, not just one and two, right? So, you know, so, but they use that theology. Most of the theology in Job is not even right. So, all right, let's cruise on to, uh, no, we got plenty of time for questions, comments.
Yeah. They did good the first seven days. <laughs> and if you don't think that's true, my wife, uh, she was married for a few months and her husband got killed. And she went to the funeral, total shock. She said, it's like it didn't even happen. I was in so much shock. Um, it's almost like it didn't even happen. I said, well, let me ask you this. Being a preacher now, what did the preacher say to encourage you? She said, I don't have any idea what anybody said. When you're in shock, when people are hurting, listen, you're going to come up with some profound words and you're going to change their life. No, just be there. Just cry. I'll never forget a lady once told me she lost her husband and she was a real emotional person. We were in the room when he died. She fell down on the floor and cried with unbelievable sobbing. I had never seen anything like this. I didn't know what to do. I thought, well, I'll pray for her. I, she's uncontrollably sobbing. You know what I did? I got down on the floor and I started crying with her. I didn't say anything. I didn't even know what to say. There wasn't anything to say. You couldn't say anything. God will do that later. But you're right. The first seven days, they had it nailed. They should have hung in there with that. But then they opened their mouth and they messed it all up. And sometimes we do the same thing. Okay, let's look at this. We're going to run through this now, and we're going to get to the part where God speaks, okay? So on our way, it's probably important that we see a little bit about Bildad and all the rest of them. So look at chapter 8 and verse 2. Let's see what he's got, profound wisdom. How long will you speak this thing? This is Bildad. He's going to speak to Job now. How long will you speak these things, and how long will the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? That's that sowing and reaping we talked about. Doth God the Almighty pervert justice? Are you kidding me? Are you saying God is doing this and he doesn't do that? If the children have sinned against him and they have cast themselves away, that's their transgression. Man, that's on them. That ain't God. If thou wouldest seek unto the, uh, to God like you have been times past, would you make supplication to the Almighty? Listen, Job, if you were pure and upright, surely he would have already awoke and he would have made your habitation a house of righteousness and prosper you. You just go back to your beginnings, man, and you'll see God's going to help you. Was he right? No. Look at verse 13. It gets worse. He said, so are the paths of those who forget God. Job, you've backslidden. You're a hypocrite. Man, the guy is laying there with bulls. He's lost all of his family. And that is what you brought him. Wow. That's terrible. Verse 20. It doesn't get any better. Behold, God will not chase away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. Is that, is that a principle in the Bible, by the way? Yeah, did you know there's even a verse in the Bible, the New Testament says, God won't even hear a sinner's prayer? Do you know what that scripture is actually saying? 
Man, having a right theology is so important because you can sure get jacked up. How many of you know these people here in Job are jacked up and there's people all over the world today in our churches that are so jacked up? What does that mean? God will not hear a sinner's prayer. If God will not hear a sinner's prayer, then how could he ever get saved? Let me say it a different way that is actually true. The only prayer that God wants to hear from a sinner is a prayer of repentance. Now that's a true statement. Okay, so you can sure get your theology jacked. This guy's got his theology jacked up for sure. In Job chapter nine, Job acknowledges God's justice. And it's pretty funny, really, because I wanted to hit it. We have time. Verse one, Job answers, said, man, this stuff that you're telling me, three-year-old knows this. Everybody knows that. I mean, if I could contend with him, he, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. If God showed up right now, how would I speak to him? I wouldn't know what to say to him. I, I couldn't do one of thousand. Verse 15, he says, you know, uh, whom then, who though I, uh, whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but he would make supplication to my judge? If, if I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto me on voice? He's God. I'm not. I'm nothing. I'm dust. He breaketh me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without a, a cause. Now that's Job's analysis of what's happening. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but be filled with me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, he's stronger than I am. If I talk about judgment, am I going to talk to him about just, judgment? If I try to justify myself, he is perfect. What good would it do? He's God. Pretty tough stuff, man. I'm going to tell you something right here and right now. You can actually get in a pretty bad funk in your mind with God if you're not careful. You can get really messed up with God. You can start, devil can put stuff in your mind to start making you believe stuff harshly about God. Listen, our family's been through a few things. We've been through a few things. We know you guys have been through some things. You know how, it easy, how easy it is when bad things start happening to start, mm, be careful. I, I just want to repeat this to you again. Listen, listen, if you're sowing good and you're reaping bad, God's in it. You just trust him on to the end. The point of the book of Job, my friend, is at the end, God turns it all back around. Listen, he's going to turn your situation back around for you no matter how long it takes. That's the whole point of Job. And sometimes we miss it. Let's go on. Keep on going. Uh, finally, Zophar speaks in Job chapter 11. And we'll just take a brief look at him. Uh, Job chapter 1 through 5 and Job chapter 11. Then answered Zophar and said, should not the multitude of your words be answered? Man, you've said so much stuff. I just got to correct you, Job. Should a man full of talk be justified? Should lying lips make a man hold their peace? Oh, my goodness. And, and when thou mockest, shall a man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure, and I'm clean in, your, in, in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open up his lips against you, Job. And I'll just tell you, it goes downhill from there. Job answers, and it's kind of funny, in chapter 12, verse 1. Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people of wisdom. And when you die, all the wisdom of the world is going to die with y'all. Isn't that funny? Look at chapter 16. <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. But this is pretty funny. I wanted you to see that verses one and two. Job answered and said, I have heard of many such things. Look at this. Miserable comforts, comforters are all of y'all. 
Y'all are the most miserable comforters I've ever seen. Y'all show up and tell me that I'm unrighteous, unholy, and I backslid, I'm away from God, and that's why. And you're a bunch of miserable comforters. Well, Job has said all this time, man, I wish I could just speak to God. I wish somehow I could have an attorney who would go to God, and I could tell God, I'm not guilty. You're unjust in doing this. I wish he could hear my complaint. I know then that, 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 he, that I don't know what would happen, but that's what he's saying. So guess what? Instead of God receiving an attorney, Job receiving an attorney to go before God, God says, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to come down myself. And God, while these four men were there, plus Job, comes down in a whirlwind. And this is what happens. You're about to see it in chapter 38. So Job's been complaining, complaining, complaining. He's just and righteous. And if he could just talk to God, he would straighten God out and God could understand that he's just and righteous. So let's see what happens. Y'all ready? <laughs> mm. I had to laugh because I thought that was kind of like me trying to explain how I'm right to my wife. You know, it just doesn't go very far, very fast. So it's worse in his case. So verse one, the Lord answered Job, this chapter 38, out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Okay, Job, you want to have a conversation with me? Let's do it. Gird up your loins, verse three, like a man. Gird, stand up on your feet. Gird up your loins, prepare yourself, and I will demand of thee, and you answer me. I got, a, I got an idea, God says. Here's what I'm going to do. Before you ask me your questions, I want to ask you a few questions. So stand up on your feet, get yourself girded, prepare yourself, and let's see how we do. Watch this. This is almost hilarious. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it. If you understand, you have all this understanding. Who hath laid the measurements thereof? Who pulled the tape lines and decided the numbers? You know this? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Where upon are the foundations thereof fastened? What did I hold it to? Or where did I lay the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea doors when it break forth as it had issued out of the womb? Job, go ahead and give me a few answers. Never mind. Verse 12. Has you, have you commanded the morning? Get up, morning. It's time for you to rise, son, since your days and cause the day spring to know its place. Look at verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or have you walked through the searches of the deep? Have the gates of the depth been opened up to you? And have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you perceived the breath of the earth? Declare it, Job. Go ahead. Give me a few answers and I'll hang on a second and I'll give you a chance to, to, to explain it all to me. Look down at verse 22. He says this. Have you entered into the treasures of the snow? Have you seen the treasures of the hell? Do you know where I store them up? Look at chapter 40. I mean, he didn't let up. Verse, he finishes 38. He goes right into 39. Do you know the time when the wild goats give birth, Job? You have any idea when that happens on the mountaintops? He continues all the way through chapter 38. 39. He didn't wink a moment. Chapter 40, he says, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall he that contendeth with the almighty instruct me? Okay. He that reproveth God, let him answer God. Then Job answered and said, behold, I am vile. 
What shall I answer thee? I lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will proceed no further. I wanted you to look at something very, very important. In fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'm going to tell you something very profound right here that I want you to jot down if you think about it. Job has just admitted he doesn't know anything compared to God. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't repent. He didn't repent. He just said, okay, you're smarter than I. I'm going to say it like this. Don't be offended. So what? You're God. You should be. So you know what God does next? He says, okay, that's the way you want it. Verse six, then answer the Lord says, out of the world went, gird your loins up now again. And I'm going to demand of you some more. And you go ahead and you declare it if you know the answers of it. And God just goes right ripping through the rest of chapter 40. He goes ripping right through all of 41. Look, can you draw? Look, he talks about the Leviathan in chapter 41. He didn't slow down a bit. He asked him questions all through chapter 40, all through chapter 41. He just goes on and on and on. And it's not until chapter 42. Now watch this. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is, it, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not through things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by my hearing of my ears but now I have seen you, wherefore I abhor myself. And what's the next word? And I repent in dust and ashes. Now, why is that important? Let me ask you a question. There were four comforters and one man. Total of how many? Five. Out of those five men, how many of them were wrong? All five of them. But for the first time, Job just repented. Now, the reason that's very important is because in a minute, God's going to speak to these friends and he's going to say, you have said things. And I forget exactly how it says, but it's something like, unlike my servant, Job. And you go, wait a minute. Job just said those things too. Not anymore, because what happens when you repent? You're forgiven. It's forgotten. It's under the blood. You know what God forces them to do next? He forces them. I don't guess he forces them. They could have done anything they wanted to, but God's there and that's a pretty scary situation. But he forces them to repent, not only to him, but to who else? To Job. Listen, repentance. Oh, listen, I don't even know how big this is for us tonight, but it's gigantic. When you say things, Think things. Harden your heart against God. When you come up with bitterness and anger against God, one of the most intelligent things you can do for yourself is fall down on your face before God and said, like Job, I had no idea what I was talking about. You are God and I'm mortal man. You're the creator and I'm the created one. 
and I should have kept my mouth shut and I should have kept my thoughts in check. I repent. Forgive me. And isn't it cool? When you repent before God, he forgives you. How cool is that? He forgives you, man. I want to tell you right now. Let's look at it just a little bit more of this. Chapter 42, it says that God blesses Job. In the next verse 7, the Lord said to Eliphaz, my, I'm, my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the things that are right. Look at this. This is the terminology I wanted you to see. As my servant Job hath. That didn't make any sense to me till I realized the first time that Job had an encounter with God, he said the right things, but he didn't repent. And God said, okay, gird yourself up for some more, boy. And he gave him some more. The next time he repented, and the next time we see God looks at Job differently than he looks at the friends. Now, they're going to repent, and everybody's going to be good. Thank the Lord. I'm actually glad there's repentance for everybody. <laughs> so he says, they, you're going to have to humble yourself. Take now, verse 8, seven bullocks, seven rams. You go to my servant Job. You get him to pray for you. If you don't, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. Now, the, th the thing that I want you to see next is, verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Anybody remember how many sheep, mocks, and all that, the, the number? Anybody remember the number? 7,000. Remember that from the first study? How many does he have now? Four. Isn't that weird? Not 1,368. Not, not 1,421. He has 7,000 in the beginning. Now he's blessed to the double. 14,000. I find it interesting that it's even in here. 6,000 camels. Double. A thousand yoke of oxen. He had 500 the first time. And a thousand she donkeys. And had uh, th 500 the first time. He had seven sons and three daughters, just like before. But here's something I thought was kind of cool. Verse 15. Well, throughout the land of Uz, where Job lived, there wasn't a woman anywhere around that could hold the candle to the beauty of Job's daughters. They were the most beautiful ladies in town. It says it right there in your Bible. Amen. How cool is that? And then the most important verse to me to let me know that this is not just a story. Can I tell you something funny? <clears throat> we have a grandson that's uh, three years old, and he's a real fun, hard-headed, cute, hits you in the face, just kiss you, stomp on your toe, little boy. Anybody ever seen one like that? Just never know when he comes to give you love and you also brace yourself because <laughs> you just never know how it's going to go. Right. So he stayed last weekend with us. And so he gets up on the bed with Papa and I like to drink my first cup of coffee in bed. And I have a wonderful wife that brings it to me. So as long as she's here and as long as the bed's there, I'll figure I'm going to keep on going down that road. So he he can't get in our bed because it's real high. So Nana, she throws him up on the bed. So he comes and lays down. And I said, do you want me to tell you a story? He said, yes. I said, once upon a time. And I made up the wildest, craziest story you ever heard. And then I said, and a monster. Rawr! Now he, he talks pretty good, but you can't understand everything he says. And so, so he said, Papa, a story. I said, you want me to tell you another story? 
And he said, a monster. Roar! <laughs> and he did it about 20 times. And Tina said, that boy is telling you a story. I said, I know. Isn't that the funniest thing? He's telling me a story. I don't have any idea what the story was. And we got to the monster part. I got that. So look, look all of that said to let you know the last verse in Job says this. Job died. You know why that's important? This is not a fairy tale, a story, something made up. This happened. And the reason that it happened is because people like us need to know when we're going through all hell, God is for us. And in the end, he will turn it around for good. And I believe that with all of my heart. Amen. I don't know everything about all this stuff, but those are a few things that I know and I believe. Any comments in closing? <clears throat> yes. Okay. You're exactly right. So he was never under no. Where he got in trouble was, I'll call it religious legalism and that system that continues through today. Right. That we take those, those things and we just say, well, that's what it says. And legalistically, you know, like the Pharisees did with Jesus. And so. What's, and I've never thought of it like that. However, it is a story that goes against all of that to prove that if God steps in, it may not work like that. But you're right. Jesus was a great example of that. The Pharisees are an awesome example of that. But I've never thought about that. I appreciate you bringing that out tonight. So maybe one of the great points of the book of Job is some of the things that you have been taught by your parents and the church and society may be partially true. In this regard, sowing and reaping, I believe it 100% of the time, except when God steps in. You have to give a measure that you cannot box God up and put him in some kind of religious tradition and that's it. So you're right on track, brother. You're right. You want to comment back on it? Well, it, I just have, there was the parable of the farmer who plants the good seed, goes to bed. That's right. The enemy comes in and plants the wheat so that we can be doing all the good seed, but we have this enemy that's here that is undermining so much of what we do, and some of it's Yeah. So when will we know? When will we know about all of it? Jesus said when he returns, they'll gather up the thistles, throw them in the fire. Then they'll gather up. That's an excellent point. Never crossed my mind. But that is that is perfect theology for what we're talking about. Thank you for bringing that out, Jason. 
Yeah. So come back to a New Testament scripture too, just to, to uh, bolster what Jason is saying even further. He, Jesus said, I think it was Jesus. He said, when you come to the church and you go to the altar and you remember that you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go make that right. So you're right on, Jason. I don't know that he could have even gotten forgiveness without having dealt with that as well. And that's beautiful how God brings that out and then further bolsters that in the New Testament. That is really amazing. Anybody else? You guys are, you guys are awesome. Dan? Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I might be the only one that's getting this I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Anybody else want to comment? Uh huh. Go ahead. Accept it. This is true. So true. That's so true. Y'all, let me tell you this. I, uh, we're, we're done with Job, and I enjoyed it. It's, it's a great book. Um, but this next book that we're going to look at, <laughs> I have been so overwhelmed with it. I have laid in my bed and cried on multiple occasions studying this book. And uh, it's the book of Ruth, and I'm actually preaching this Sunday morning. So I'm preaching on the book of Ruth this Sunday, but then we're going to start a very, very in-depth study. Only four chapters, and yet I've drawn from wells so deep that I've never seen. And so the Lord has just been really speaking to my heart about this incredible book of Ruth. So I want to encourage you, you know, you say, well, we're done with Job. Listen. This next book is going to bless the socks on you instead of off of you, okay? It's going to be so good. I know that because I've been so blessed myself getting ready for it. So I want to encourage you to come. Go ahead. Amen. Amen. I told somebody the other day, you know, I, 
I, I don't ever want to make things about me or about my family, but we are going through a Job moment right now. And so I told somebody the other day that was like, well, I said, we had to ask the doctor the hard questions, you know, uh, what if I don't get well? You know, what, what, what then? You know, and so he said, well, he said, you know, you're not a candidate for this surgery where they open you up and leave you open for months. And so, you know, I said, well, what happens then? You know, and so anyway, uh, here's what I concluded from the whole thing. And I've told two or three people since we've left the doctor's office. Hey, if I get well and God turns it around like he did for Job, God is good. I'm going to love him and serve him till the day I die. If I die, I'm going to love him and I'm going to serve him till the day I die. I'm going to go to heaven. That's all there is to it. And so, you know, you cannot allow things in life. The, one of the great things about serving God is it all begins in your mind. Fix your heart on things above. The other stuff, they're going to come and they're going to go. But that which is sure will remain forever. Depth. Absolutely. That's a great, you know, uh, Jack, my, my buddy, Jack, he told me this this last week when he called me and he's going to come in a minute. I saw his hand just go up, but he may remind me of this. You know, we, as people who go through things need lots of encouragement. What we don't need is these guys. So if there's anything we can learn tonight, Hey, when you see somebody that maybe they're not your best personality type, go ahead and love on them. You don't know what they're going through. When you see somebody that's going through something, encourage them, bless them in the name of the Lord. It's good. We need it. We need it, y'all. Jack, you got the last word, man. Right? Amen. Amen. Well, let me just tell you this, just so that you know, my wife, I get, sometimes I get a little discouraged with what we're going through. So I go home. She gives me a good spanking with this right here. And she gets me back encouraged and ready to go again. So there you go. So it's good to have a good wife keeping you encouraged. Not only that, but a lot of you encourage me when I come to church. You can't imagine. You don't know what a person's going through. The words that you guys have spoken to me, many of you have so encouraged me. And so I hope to the Lord that I can be that for you when you are going through whatever it is that you're going through. I want to be the same. Jack, you get this last word twice. <laughs> okay.
Uh huh. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. Brother Schultz, stand and pray for us and dismiss us with you. God bless all of you. I love you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week this week. Oh, 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 oh. My wife just, she just reminded us something very important. Next week is food box. So we will miss Ruth for a little bit. And then, and then, uh, I know. I apologize, but I'm excited. Hey, be excited with me till we come back together. Until we meet. Uh, Go ahead and pray for us. God bless y'all.